Welcome to What Have We Learned? I'm Ben Punter. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to all those who have reached out to me to say that they've enjoyed past episodes so far. Do let me know what you have learned. I'd love to know what you have actually learned from listening to previous podcasts we've done so far. It'd be lovely to hear from you. This episode is Steve N. Allen, who's a very funny stand-up broadcaster and writer, so we're blending all the interest into one here today. Uh, You may know Steve as Tom, who sits on the news desk of The Mass Report, which is currently airing its third series on BBC Two at Thursday night at 10 o'clock, or you can catch up on BBC iPlayer. Uh, We cover why he's Tom and not Steve. Uh, You can hear him on his Friday night show on BBC Radio Kent, which is Fridays at 10pm, and there's a podcast version of that as well available on bbc sounds and you can follow him on twitter at mr steve n allen and to use his words he is an avid radio nerd and you'll hear why uh, this episode was recorded in the parcel yard in king's cross uh, during rush hour on a tuesday and we talk radio our comedy beginnings where we both crossed paths uh, writing satire edinburgh and even mixing desks this is what have we learned with steve n allen Hey, Steve, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm actually very well, thank you. A little on the tired side and mm-hmm. also slightly sweaty. Is that more detail than you needed? A little bit too much, but yeah. it's, it's fine for a, for a Tuesday afternoon. Because we're recording this uh, in King's Cross at rush hour. So yeah. it's a little bit loud around us, I apologise. But um, yeah, so, um, so do you remember where we met? Because we've met before. Now, I, I vaguely it's that period of my life... I don't normally talk about okay. um, the the Heartbeat FM period. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. So, and a lot of it has been blanked out of my memory, uh, just because I'm old and I used to drink. So, <laughs> give me you know, it's a, what I remember. I was doing drive there. I, so I remember I was working at Heartbeat FM. Yep. It was in Hertfordshire, and it was in the old pump house. Yeah, the old, the old pump, pump house, in Neverworth. Yeah. And it became it later became known as Jack FM. Yeah. And then it's now I think it's now Bob FM. Right, I think. I'd gone way before it became Jack. Yeah, oh, so I, was, I only did a year, I did 2008-2009, and I came in on a Saturday, and you trained me how to work the desk. Oh yeah, I did Saturday mornings as well, didn't yeah. I? Oh, that's the thing about radio, <laughs> it's, it's so much more work than you expect, and I was mm. doing Sunday shows elsewhere in Romford mm-hmm. during that time. Mm. Man alive, I was exhausted. <laughs> no wonder I don't remember it in, in crisp detail. But yeah, so I, I trained you how to use... I can't remember what the desk was like, but I'm imagining not a, u- a useful one moving forward in your career. But no, not at all. Based yeah. on my the number of times I've updated my CV, I can remember it vividly as RCS Selector. Oh, yeah. And nice. it, was, it, was, it felt professional at the time. I mean, it was version... Oh, here we go. Oh, it was know. version 15. <laughs> it was, was RCS, it? RCS version 15. Uh, since then, no one's using that these days. No. Everyone went 16 and then Zeta. So why would you not? <laughs> well, that's... That is some knowledge. I was I, I did just in a year, and then I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, I'm out. Oh, right. bye. Because I, I I was never paid. Oh, really? I was never paid. There's a lot of that in the business. Yeah. yeah. But I think to be to be true um, about this, I am still a radio nerd. Mm. So because I got into it from the predictable hospital radio route and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I love all that business, learning about linker and selector and how to put yeah, it all yeah. together. And then you just you get. I, I was first trained up on BCS, BCX, yeah. BCX. Um, that was when I was on Mercury FM. Then learnt Genesis, 
when oh, I was yeah. working at uh, GWR. Yep. And then the first time I'd ever used RCS Master Control, which was the main program, oh, yeah. that was when I went to Heartbeat. And since then, everywhere I've ever worked at has been a Master Control, uh, an RCS place. Yeah. Where in Hospital Radio did you start? Uh, it's in certainly Nashville, Mansfield technically, because it's just over the border. So I was a 16-year-old and I loved comedy. Yep. And I wrote a two-minute piece of comedy and went to a, an a, a, a audition for a fringe play because yep. it would be the only place I could perform it. And it was terrifying. And the next day, I looked in the chat, the Chronicle Advertiser, the local paper in Southern Nashville, yeah. in which I now have a newspaper column. Don't get paid for that either, <laughs> but it's just one of those wins. Like, tick. That's what I yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was an advert for a local RSL small station on AM. Oh, my day, it's yeah. AM. And I went along to that because I remember vividly feeling I would rather do comedy on radio than on stage because how terrified I was doing it in front of a small group of people for an audition was so intense that surely doing it on radio wouldn't be as bad. And that's the only reason I ended up in radio. Because with doing it in front of a live audience, you have an immediate reaction of them judging you. Whereas on radio, you can just do it. And if they don't like it, that's not your problem. But if they do like it, you'll find your audience. Yeah, and I think if they don't like it, you never really know, or you certainly don't feel it as viscerally as you do when you're faced with people who aren't laughing at your work. Yeah. Um, and I think in radio, a lot of people, and I've probably been guilty of this, convince themselves of their level of funny based on their own internal metric, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So then, how do you get from Mansfield to, let's say, up to Heartbeat? I, so, then went off to university mm-hmm. to do chemistry, as you would, get yourself ready for a media career. Mm-hmm. And at the university, did um, RSL radio there as well, university yep. radio. And that's where I really started to actually enjoy what you could do with radio. Because the first time it was just like, I'll read something out and play a song, I'll read something out and play a song. Yeah. And then I started to mess around with the format a bit and realized, oh, wait a minute, you can do anything with this. Mm. So I enjoyed it then. Uh, finished the degree. Actually, halfway through, I started writing jokes for radio presenters. Mm-hmm. Just sending off pages. I faxed. That's how old it is. Yeah. I faxed off a page of jokes to um, someone on Hallam FM, yeah. and he offered to start paying for them. So I was writing gags by then. Wow. Um, and then wanted to try and present. No one was interested at all, and so I became a travel news reader for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was how I, and then I moved down to London doing that. So that was it. I was in the business then, telling people of the delays on the M25. I can still pretty much remember all of the names of the junctions of the M25. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who's served their time in travel news, you know it, don't you? Yeah, so, so I'm just thinking what the name of the company was. I'm wondering if it's the same company, Travel News. Uh, uh, so I started out at AA Roadwatch, which was AA Vodafone Roadwatch okay. for sponsorship reasons. And then I moved to Traffic Link. Traffic Link. So that's an, that's an interesting because I did... I basically did the same thing a yeah. few years later after we did, I did Heartbeat I eventually worked, found all the, the the station it, the company it became was um, Inrix Inrix yeah. and I did, did the exact same thing during I'm still a nerd how do I know this I shouldn't know this <laughs> anymore <laughs> no, should I <laughs> no. um, but yeah uh, so, um, so talking about the comedy the radio side of comedy what has been like, your comedy not linchpin but sort of idols or landmarks that made you kind of go that's what I want to do um, listening to Radio 1 and they put some Victor Lewis Smith on yep and that was I mean they'd never do anything like that again now what no. a weird time yeah. I mean they used to do a thing on Friday with Kevin Day can't remember the name of the show but that was like a topical thing and there was some Fist of Fun derivative on Radio yeah, uh, yeah. Radio 1 as well but that Victor Lewis Smith thing was so weird which you know if you wanted weird you had Blue Jam Chris Morris as well yeah. but there was something so weird about and, and creative about what Victor Lewis Smith did and I'm not particularly sure I'd I, I like his style of humour now. You know, I follow him on Twitter and don't 
particularly enjoy the, his stuff these days. But that comedy back then, it was just not what should be on radio. It was audio rather than radio. And I didn't know it at the time. I was like, well, wait a minute. So you don't have to just play songs and be glib and happy and, you know, good morning, what a great day. Yeah. You could be dark. So that was a moment where I realized, yeah, wait a minute, this is nothing to do with what every other thing on radio is like. Yeah. That was a big turning point. And then, yeah, I mean, on the hour, of course. Because I, I grew up working class upbringing. Radio 4 was, it felt like it was off limits. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like I shouldn't be allowed to even look at it. And I didn't even know what weekending was. Where, and everyone said, you should write for weekending. I don't know. Wait, I'm, I've listened to Radio <laughs> 1 because that's what I'm allowed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then I started, and I did send in some gags to the Hudlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big day when I got some material read out by Roy Hudd. And then, in terms of radio idols, then, who's the people that made you kind of go, that's what I want to do? Certainly in radio. Yeah, um, so in terms of presenting, well, so I, 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 was a, I was the correct age for Chris Evans to be very interesting. When I was, I was listening to Radio 1, all of a sudden they get rid of all the old, the old lot. And, you know, I enjoyed a weekend listening to DLT, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Who, who doesn't love a darts based quiz? Yeah. But when it all changed, and I remember I was you know, at school at the time doing, get, doing exams, having to get up early to try and study or whatever, put the radio on. And again, that was really creative. But I, if I'm honest, Danny Baker, mm-hmm. dare we say his name these days, I don't know if I'm allowed to even talk about him. You know, it's like finding Peter, um, uh, Louis C.K. funny these days. You're not yeah. allowed to. Um, so I, he was, I think, the best broadcaster. Yeah, I agree. And so that those, those are the names that steered me in the direction of what I wanted to do with radio yeah. and never achieved while we're talking names in radios I can't believe I forgot it Kevin Greening oh I absolutely agree yeah. absolutely concur with that uh, and not the Zoe Ball breakfast show days mm-hmm. um, his weekend shows before that yeah. Yeah, yeah so good the splicer no I know he wasn't the one doing the splicer's disease sketch sketches but they were amazing and I still remember the joke that got him suspended for a while you know the blown a seal joke um, no. So um, the basic, the brief version of it is, uh, so it would just put in, how many pieces do I need in place to make this punchline work? So it would be uh, like an Eskimo pulled over at the side of the road, car breaks down, uh, AA man turns up. I don't know if they've got the AA there. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. And it says, oh, it looks like you've blown a seal. And he says, no, it's just a little bit of ice cream on the side <laughs> of my face. And he apparently did that joke. Was he doing a thing where he was doing... The jokes across different periods, or yeah. So one jo- well, joke I, du jour, a joke du jour. So it's like yeah. a joke, joke for the day. You do one joke, and it seems like it, it, you. I don't think you could do, do this now. You do one joke at I don't know six o'clock, and then you tell the punchline earlier the next day. Right. It's a wonderful idea, but I don't think you could even do it now. No. Like come back tomorrow and listen to the punchline of that joke, and if you listen to the punchline for the first time, there was no there was no facility. To go back, yeah, you no couldn't listen again. You'd have you'd have a punchline <laughs> to a joke you'd never heard. It was remarkable. Um, certainly, I have taken a lot of. So I don't want to say copy, but also I'd take a homage yeah. of what a lot of Kevin Green's done. A lot of very dry, very kind of um, like, oh well, that's the end of that. There, moving on. Very yeah. kind of like almost n- not a good morning DJ. Just yeah. a very. Almost just very sarcastic, but in a wonderful, joyous kind of way. I think there'll always be a part of the audience that gets sarcasm on radio. Yeah. There'll always be a bit that, that doesn't. And they're the problem, because they're the ones who, these days, text and tweet in and complain 
about your, your attitude. So, I mean, I'm still doing some radio these days. I enjoy it. I still have that rather sardonic tone, and I don't think it goes down well with everyone, but I'm, I'm kind of past caring, really. You've got to do what you want. You've got to do what you enjoy. Yeah, and so speaking of radio now, so you're working BBC Radio Kent? Yeah. Uh, how long have you been in that show for? That is probably about three years now, three or four years. And it started with... Um, so I'd stopped doing radio because... And we just we uh, just to talk tell tales out of school. We were talking before we started recording about the moment I was driving back up the A1 from that Sunday show back to doing the five days a week plus Saturday, and realised I had nothing left to say. And so a short time after that, I'd stopped broadcasting. I was still writing gags. I used to do jokes for Jamie Theakston on Heart. So that was that was nice to help pay the mortgage for a while. Uh, but then I ended up not doing any presenting at all and would sit at home tweeting, basically, live tweeting TV shows. And from it, I got to be a guest on Ian Collins' LBC weekend show when he was doing that. And he was doing a show on BBC Camp. So he said, you know, come and be a guest. And then there was an election, so actually that makes it 2015, so I've been doing it for four years. Um, And he said, could you do some sketches for the election? Like a minute's or two minutes' worth of audio every day. And I thought, there's no way I could handle that. But you say yes to everything, don't you? And since then, as soon as that finished, the boss of the station asked me if I could do topical shows every day on The Breakfast Show. I was thinking, no, there's no way I could keep this up. But I said yes, and I'm still doing it. So every day there's a little um, minute and a half comedy sketch about the news. That's, that's my gig there, really. Awesome. Um, so how do you get from that to the MASH report? That is via the stand-up route. So the stand-up route, we need to back up. Back to, back to when I'm writing jokes for radio presenters. And I'm doing travel news. And I used to listen to some of the radio presenters do the jokes. And sometimes they would mangle them up. And there was a classic one. I can't remember the joke, but I remember the joke worked because the punchline had to be said in a deep voice. So I put in brackets, said in deep voice, and then the punchline. And I heard a radio presenter read out every word of it in his normal voice. Oh, no. And I was why am I wasting my time doing that? But I realized (laughs) you can't complain about other people performing jokes unless you've got the bottle to do it yourself. And when so Traffic Link used to be in Centrepoint, across the road was a place called the Troy Club, um, on just off um, Oxford Street, and I'd started gigging there. It was an open mic night. I was probably terrible for a good long while, but every Tuesday, after working the evening shift, I'd go down there and do some jokes. Um, then moved forward, did a couple of Edinburgh shows. They were always topical-based. 2014, I did one that got me the audition for the MASH Report, because we did the pilot in 2014 and no one wanted it and then the news changed so back in 2014 there's no Trump there's no Brexit and no one was really like oh we need to make topical comedy everything's fine yeah (laughs) then the world went to hell and then the BBC was like I think we need some more topical comedy yeah it got rehashed rejigged slightly and then we came back did another pilot in 2017 and that's where we are now so bouncing back to Edinburgh how many Edinburgh Fringe shows do you think you've done so far I so I did uh, 2010 was kind of the first one I did the full month I've been up before twice before but never done the full run so 2010 then I guess I did four more after that four different topical shows like an hour of like review of the year basically yeah. um, so by then I'd done kind of five or seven depending on how you count them and then I think I did a couple more and then took some time off I went up again this year but not doing a topical show yeah. It was, in many ways, I can't really help but have comedy that is inspired by news stories. Yeah, yeah. It's just how I work. But I didn't want it to be, here's me talking about these news stories. Yeah. I tried to find like the lesson to learn from them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Edinburgh is a, 
it's like a scratch card, right? It costs. It's like actually taking your savings out and buying loads of scratch cards because yeah. it's really expensive. The odds are it's not going to pay off, but you keep hearing the stories of the one person for whom it does pay off, and that's why you keep going back to it every year. Oh, that's a, that's a great example because so, so I've been doing these podcast episodes, and the original or, uh, origins were was from Edinburgh Fringe to go. I feel like I should do a thing, and I'm like, I can't do comedy. Well, no, no, I can't do comedy. <laughs> but <laughs> I consider it. I consider it so many times, but no, I get really bad stage fright. Okay. Put me behind a microphone and I'm fine. But then there's the, there's the element there of, oh no, but you're behind a microphone on the stage. Well, I don't know, who knows. But I kind of well, I want to talk to people about it and like figure out figure out how you do an Edinburgh Fringe show, how do you actually make it happen. And then I thought, well, I can speak to that person, I can speak to this person. Like, oh, so-and-so's going, so-and-so's going. We've got a podcast theme here now. Um, so that's why I've ended up with this. I, so I've been the thing I've been asking people with the Edinburgh Fringe has been, what makes Edinburgh particularly so special? Um, it's one of those things. It, it is just because people think it is. So there are comedy festivals all over the country. None of them have the profile of Edinburgh. So it, I don't want to say they don't matter. They they matter in some ways, but none of them really get anywhere close to being in the zeitgeist of the the nation's understanding of comedy. And the, actually, it's not even it's not the comedian's understanding of comedy. It's the non-comedian's understanding of comedy. So if you're not in comedy, you know about gigs and Edinburgh, and that's probably it. Yeah. So you could go and perform at the Brighton Fringe. No one really knows it's a thing. Yeah. Leicester Festival is amazing, but no one's going to be like, oh, wow, Leicester. Um, whereas Edinburgh is synonymous. It's synonymous with comedy, probably because... This is really harsh to Edinburgh, but what else is it famous for? If you're not anywhere near Edinburgh, yeah, a, a zoo with some pandas is pretty much it. Some fireworks on New Year's Eve, yeah, that's it. But yeah. even then, that's, that's that's one evening, yeah, in one month of the year at the end of the year. And it does mean that so Edinburgh as a as a thing is mm. the biggest. True. I don't I don't know I don't want to say the best. It seems harsh, but it, it kind of is. It's the biggest, the best. And so if you want to make any um, change to your profile, you've got to do it in the one place everyone's looking. Edinburgh. Yeah. And it's really expensive. Yes. <laughs> I shall admit, I did have tickets to see your show. Yeah. But I'm afraid I couldn't make it. Oh, you did, yeah. Because I was struck down with a severe fringe flu. I can't go to yeah. the show. I can't go. So that's what you learn in, in years one and two, is that you will get ill every year. So you have to... Yeah. I mean, up there, comedians are spending more money on vitamins than any sort of illicit yeah, yeah. substance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this year, um, I went loaded with Barocca and yeah. Nurofen and... Oh, what are they called? Um, uh, not Night Nurse. Oh, the... Lemsip. Lemsip. Ar- armed good. with Lemsip, yeah. Yeah, you want to go... You've got to go proactive. You've got to do... I don't know if you mentioned first defence within the mix. You've got to go first defence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vitamins are good. This year, the hot talk of all the comedians was the uh, Holland and Barrett Sage Throat Spray. Oh, okay. Very good. Good. Nice sage one. and Echinacea. Of course you've got Echinacea. <laughs> right? Your immune system's going to be great for like the next six months. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so how was the Fringe Tree this year? How was 2019? I mean, week one was quiet, but everyone was saying it was quiet. And I hadn't done it for a few years, so I'd, I'd forgotten that feeling. And then I always, I always arrive there thinking, well, I'm going to do 
because I did two shows. I think I'm going to do my shows. I'm really going to take time out this year, and I'm going to go and see loads of other things. Mm. Um, and I never do. So I turn up there, I do my shows, and realize <laughs> you could always be working harder on your own stuff. Yep. And I didn't stop doing the radio stuff. So I, I had to wake up in the morning, get the papers, write, produce. I took a little mini radio studio up with me, yep. which is why I'm nerdy about microphones, because <laughs> you've got to got add a condenser. Condenser mic up there, but it was USB, because I'm just I'm going on mini. I had the smallest little mixing desk. Um, so I made the sketch then would do the other writing that I have to do in newspaper columns and whatever then go out do an afternoon and then an evening show at the end of it I was like I would love to see other people's shows but I'm going to go home and sleep because you know I've got all my vitamins I've got my sage and echinacea throat spray yeah, but yeah. you need the sleep as well Yeah. Um, so it was a slog like it should be I mean I've got that attitude I think where if you're going to do Edinburgh work hard at it if you're not exhausted they used to say this in radio as well Dan O'Day who does um, lecturing about radio stars we used to get sent on training courses boot camps with yeah, GWR yeah. and he always said if you're not exhausted by the end of a show you should have done it better yeah and I quite like that as a way of viewing life mm, I can see that especially that kind of uh, you, that, that sense of adrenaline has kind of all gone out of you by the end of it yeah. you, you're just you're, you, all you want to do is sit in silence and just not talk to anyone post show you're like you are exhausted. I didn't know if that was just my personality type. So the last year I've been really obsessed with researching about uh, introversion because I realised it's one of the things that I used to think was like a flaw that I'm, I was getting things wrong, mm -hmm. but it's a personality trait. Okay. And so I've learnt more about the things that are me because I'm an introvert, and that's one of them. And okay. I thought it was just that's where it came from. Like if you do a gig, then I have to not speak to people and, and build up the energy again. And it, when I go straight from a gig to a bar, yeah. I would just be the quietest person. I've got no urge to talk to anyone. I can't <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah. Wow. So it's not just me. That's no. good. Yeah, I, I, I think you put, all, you put all your energy into what you're doing. Yeah. And then you just need just a moment to just kind of build up to at least 20%. Just, yeah. to, just so I can just be a human for a bit. It's just like phone battery, isn't it? It is. You've got to be back up to the normal colour phone battery. Yeah. Whenever they start changing, changing colours, stuff's going down. Yeah, uh oh, yeah. power saving mode. <laughs> Just the ability to do that to humans, kind of say, hey, can I have, I'm on orange right now, go away, yeah. I'm on orange, not now, <laughs> not now, I'm on orange. Um, what would be your advice for those going as a, just a visitor, not going uh, to see, uh, someone who's going to Edinburgh to just see the shows, what yeah. advice would you give to them? You need to realise there are way too many shows. Yep. Um, so have a plan, but yep. then don't take that advice too far. I think always have some gaps to see something that you've never heard of that you wouldn't normally see mm -hmm. and I'd take a risk especially with the free fringe so if yeah. you absolutely hate it you could pay nothing on the way out I mean I still think human civility means chuck a couple of quid in I but agree, yeah. um, there's nothing to risk other than the hour but you at the end of it I always think if you see a show that's terrible you've got a story if you've not got a terrible story show from Edinburgh you've not taken any risks yeah and also I don't really see the point in seeing names that you know are going to come and tour in your town anyway. Yeah. We'd like, let them pay the, the petrol. Hmm. So go and see things that you wouldn't ordinarily see and take a risk on something really weird. Yeah, because there's also a sense of ownership as well for free, free fringe acts that are making their way. Yeah. Because you've then got that thing in two or three years' time when they are becoming a household name. You can say, I saw them a few, a few years ago and you have that kind of relationship with them where you kind of feel like... 
I've no, I've no, I've kind of like grown up with you as well. I've yeah. seen your career grow and rise. I'm like those guys. I know those guys, and they're everyone else's. Who? Like, yeah. I saw them in 2014. I saw them first. It's good bragging rights, isn't it? That's what yeah, you get. Exactly. It's Definitely good bragging worth taking rights, it. Yeah. And also, I think if you find the person flying their own show, I mm. think there's there's a nice thing about that because that you can talk and chat. Well, yeah. Right? yeah. That means you, you get you get to see the person. They'll tell you about their show beforehand. Mm. And also, I, don't, I like the idea of rewarding the hard work rather than just. I paid for loads of people to fly her. Yeah, yeah. It's better if you actually see the person put some effort in. Yeah. And you also did some improv this year as well. Yeah, it's at the afternoon show. Um, it was me and another comedian called Derek McElroy, and I've worked with him for quite a while. We've done similar shows to this, and he, he does stuff on uh, the BBC Radio Kent. I do a Friday night show there as well that we've turned into a podcast where we just pick a new story and chat about it. And we've done the Edinburgh version of that, where we just pick new stories to bring up to each other and we just riff about it, and then the audience could mention them. And they've gone all right, but this year we changed it to make it less newsy yeah. and more what's the fundamental question at the bottom? What's the right and wrong question about things? Yeah. And it turns out that I think that worked better because that means you're not restricted. Like every news story can give you a is this right or wrong question, yeah. but then there's also other questions that the audience would... It starts off with theft-based things and rule-breaking, those kind of moral issues, and by the end of it, everyone's talking about which way around should you put your toilet roll, which turns out to be one of the hottest topics... That we ever faced. I'm trying to. Facing, facing the wall. To, top low. Well, facing the wall. Mm. So either you, your top sheet's coming off the top. Yeah, yeah. That you could fold into a triangle, or if you're a bottom feeder, it goes against the wall, and there's no way to fold that into a triangle. That's your main test. But then there's the follow-on from that, which is: Do you fold it generally or scrunch? Yeah. Oh. Do you know we debated that one one day, mm-hmm. and I am always appalled to hear that people who scrunch. <laughs> because it's a risk. It's why would you have random probability yeah. involved in protecting your hand from the obvious? So you might as well just get a sheet of A4 paper and scrunch that. Might as, well. you might as well. might as well. It seems like a waste. Right. Oh, fine. Get some smooth card then, at least. <laughs> um, uh, so then let's talk about uh, the MASH report. Here's my big question about it. In the show, you are a newsreader. Yeah. You are Tom. Yeah, Tom Logan. Tom? We never use his surname, but he has the surname <laughs> as a character. Now, why is that? Um, it's so that we can have backstory jokes that aren't actually my backstory. Okay. So in the show, we've got nice jokes about, you know, I, I don't have any kids in real life, but the character does. Okay. And there are little throwaway lines every so often that you get kind of like, well, I just wish I, you know. There was like Susan, which is Ellie's character, said something in one script like, um, we don't always get what we want or something. And my line was, um, yeah, I'd like to see my kids on the weekend, but we don't always get that. So there's nice little emotional bits. There's a lovely bit that we did off the back of one sketch about centre parks or something. And my character says, um, I had a great weekend in centre parks, actually. And Ellie says, oh, with your wife? And then my character went, sorry, I was mistaken. I was at a trade conference. Um, so in that one line, I learned that the character's married and having an affair. Yeah. So those jokes you couldn't do if they were just me. But it's also, it's also comedy within comedy. It's the, 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 the visuals of, oh, it's newsreaders doing comedy jokes news news comedy jokes but within that you have then ca- comedy characters within that so it's like it's comedy within comedy at the same time yeah. so you can do many things with it as well and people people on, on social media you know some are nice and some are nasty and every so often people say well it's, it's not as good as the day to day and I'm not even going to debate that point because you know, I may well agree I don't think I'm, I'm I actually I know I am not funnier than Chris Morris I, I can very much live with that however that was a show that was 
taking the mickey out of the format of news. In all of the episodes, they never address an actual news story. As soon as we sit down and do a joke about Strictly, we've mentioned something topical. So we're different. We're doing topical jokes. They were doing jokes about the format of news. And people can't seem to understand, like, oh, it's not, it's not like that. No, because actually we've got a, a live audience of 400 people. That, yeah. that camps things up. As soon as you've got a moment of, here's a punchline, they're laughing, you're not actually a newsreader. It's very difficult to portray, <laughs> and like, Alastair Stewart ne- never has to pause for the laugh break, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's always going to be pushed <laughs> further. Yeah. Um, and how do you feel about comparisons to the, the, the likes of um, The Daily Show and even... Some of, its, some of its predecessors like uh, That Was The Week That Was or even 10 O'Clock Live on Channel 4 yeah I mean in general it's nice to get any of those comparisons Comparison, I always find comparisons to be quite flattering like the fact that I never thought I'd be in a situation where I've been on the telly so the fact that someone's saying oh that thing you do on telly is a bit like already that sentence is great for me um, I mean that was the week that was I don't actually have great knowledge of loads of, I know I know of the show and I've seen clips but I mean, we were clearly not breaking the ground like they did, but no one had broken the ground before them. Um, in terms of the American stuff, I, everyone's always wanted it. If you want comedy, or if you like comedy and you live in the UK, you've always thought, why aren't we doing something? And it's different. I think one of the big differences is uh, audience attitude issues. So in America, I mean, I was watching, downloading, very legally, I'm sure, uh, downloading and watching the Jon Stewart stuff. And he would do a joke, and the audience would just absolutely lose it. And we don't really have that vibe in the audiences in the UK. We're not like that. The, I never got to see how big the audiences were, but it didn't sound like it was a massive room, and they would absolutely lose their poop. Whereas we've got a big old audience of like three or 400 people, and we can get them laughing, but you've got to do a good funny joke to make a British audience really laugh. You yeah. can't just mention like, hey, Donald Trump's a bit of an idiot. Way! Although, having said that, we did a Boris Johnson joke last week that got a round of applause simply because of the insult rather than the humour, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Radio Kent, Mash Report, what's next? That's, well, being fired. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way the career seems to go. I've always had these, these peaks in my career. Like, I, I loved working on GWR. I never thought I'd be on, on a breakfast show, even though it was a local one. It was technically a key site station on the GWR and GCAP portfolio. I was loving it. Got fired. Well, I just didn't have my contract renewed. Um, then I was living writing for Theakston. I was writing gags for... I mean, actually, if you add it together, all of the... Because eventually those jokes were sent out to all the heart breakfasts. If you add together the audience, something like 60 million people. What am I going to get to write for that and got fired? Um, so now I'm just waiting. Okay, this is another peak. And let's see what happens on the way back down. And in terms of actual plans, just keep doing this. I'd, I'd love to continue to do it. I, it's helped me get in a position where I can turn up and do guest spots on things so it's not just BBC Kent anymore where I get to chat about the news I'm on Five Live every so often been on the Jeremy Vine thing I don't know if there's no career to be had out of that but it's very much enjoyable kind of I've always liked the idea of being able to sit around and just chat about the news riff about it hit some funny stuff or not Um, so more of that would be great and uh, writing some comedy specials for places that's you know I want to do more writing now um, and it's, if I'm honest, it's probably radio. I, I want to do more, I want to take a step up in my radio platform. Because I've always had, normally it's been like the stand-up and the radio, and they're the two. And then the MASH report comes along, so technically it feels like I've got three legs to this. 
and then the mash report gives me the turning up on the vine stuff or whatever it's called these days so it adds a little bit to the pile of the video the tv stuff but the main two i've got is the stand-up and edinburgh this year was moving my stand-up a chunk and i've come back thinking i want to write some radio comedy bits um, longer than just the 90 second topical sketches so I've got a passion for that at the moment I've got ideas of, of how you know the delivery would be because the, the 90 second comedy sketches are fairly me talking straight about a story and then I'm all the voices of the characters who are on the phone or the little pretend clips and I, clearly I prefer that than the me talking so I want to do that writ large I want to do like bigger versions of shows where the weird characters that I am which is hardly a compliment, uh, are the bigger part of the show. So that I would love to do. It's, it's more intensive because you've got to write every single word of it. There's no improv there at all. But I'm all, yeah, I want to do some scripted comedy. Steve, thank you very much. Well, thank you. So thank you very much to Steve for this episode. The Mash Report is currently airing its third series on BBC Two, Thursday nights at 10 o'clock, and it's on BBC iPlayer. If you've missed any episode, he has a live Friday night show at 10 o'clock on BBC Radio Kent, and is a podcast version on BBC Sounds, and you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Steve N. Allen. Do let me know what you think about this episode. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to find out what you have particularly learned as well. Do let me know. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Punter and on Facebook you can search What Have We Learnt and join the Facebook page there. And also, separately, we're on YouTube as well. It's just currently just a video with a static image with the audio included on there because I know some people might like to listen on that platform as well. Just throwing it in there because, hey, why not? So, what have we learnt? We've learned that radio is so much more work than you expect but you can still do dark humour. If you're not exhausted, then you should have done it better. Edinburgh is like a scratch card and it will make you ill. Your internal metric of funny might not be what you think it is. Take a risk to see a show you've never seen before just for the bragging rights. An introversion is not a flaw, it's your default position. And do what you want, do what you enjoy, but not right now, I'm only 12%.